from John De Lawrence. Right through for Fuller. Fuller's beaten Larson here. And Ricardo Fuller has scored for Stoke. Ten minutes to go. And it could yet be a celebratory night in the Potteries. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the Wizards of Drivel podcast. And, well, I know we've got to get on and talk about the match, but I think it's only right that we acknowledge the seismic historical event that happened during the week. After a long and bitter campaign, a day many people thought would never happen happened. And no matter what you think of the guy and his character, we really need to rally together now and get behind him. Come on, Sido, make Stoke City great again. Joining me is Ben Cartwright. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm I'm very well. And also joining me is Tom Thrower. Good morning. I like what you did there, your little Donald Trump thing. It's probably a person who more people hate than me at the minute. We'll discuss Sido later in the show, but today, or yesterday, it finished Stoke City 1, Man United 1. Here are roving reporters Thomas Frost and Jack Hollingsworth. And never felt less gutted after a, a last-minute equaliser. Uh, nothing but pride in the performance from the lads. They defended superbly. And in the end, it was just a magnificent free kick uh, by Wayne Rooney. And he was, uh, you can't really legislate for that. Even the foul that led up to it, I think, was it was fair enough, really. We, it was a foul, I think. Was it Joe Allen, I think? And it really needed to make, I think. It was one for the team, like... Yeah, we... No comments about performance. Yeah, we, we could have got out a bit more and we invited pressure a bit, but they, their movement and passing and was superb. I thought, I thought they played well, Manchester United. They probably did deserve at least a point. Uh, but it is always good to see the last minute equaliser, but overriding emotion, nothing but pride. Jack, reporting for the Stoke versus Manchester United game, and I'd just like to say congratulations to Wayne Rooney on becoming the top goal scorer ever um, good good game really for the result in hindsight uh, had a lot of time to think about it not angry but that slight bit of sickness coming back the way we keep losing leads in like the last minute it's becoming quite a common theme now overall I felt we didn't really deserve the result, but we got a point at home, which isn't terrible. Um, I didn't feel like we created too much today, and United thoroughly deserved maybe two, three or four goals, but we managed to keep them down to one, and I think the defence has to play a big part to that, and Grant for making a good couple of saves. Uh, all in all, was fairly positive about the whole day seeing Berahino and just happy for the point really I mean I think again a win against Everton now is looking more likely with the team positive and I feel we are really getting back on track again I'm not Hughes in yet I'm still Hughes out but he's definitely it's starting to win me back over Okay, so the general consensus seems to be that we uh, performed valiantly, uh, but were robbed of a win uh, in heartbreaking fashion. Ben, what were your verdicts on the result and the performance? My, I, I, to be honest, for some strange reason, I know a lot of people sort of were very disappointed when when Wayne Rooney scored, but I mean, cons- like. It, 
relatively compared to other sort of results that have gone against us that last minute equaliser it really didn't hit me that hard I was I was still quite happy the fact that we'd gone through a season unbeaten against the best Manchester United team in the post um, Ferguson era I'd say I think that's rather impressive and especially as we've been so bad against the top sides in the league and we came up against this side that is definitely one of the form sides at the moment and we're able to stifle them once again so it is annoying that we didn't get the three points but I think the the president it set that we could actually play a performance without conceding four goals was that was enough for me really and and I think although it is annoying that goal you can't really do much about it I mean obviously Joe Allen gave the foul away could he have given that foul away maybe not but whatever like the sliding doors um, but then Rooney just sort of pulls out a masterstroke like he he can do and and he got the record which I don't actually mind that he got it against us I think that's quite cool I mean I really rate him as a player so I. As much as I would have much preferred, I'm going to get my my dad out of me here. I'd have much preferred that Rooney going in than sort of seeing a Paul Pogba last minute equaliser and him dabbing all the way to the to the booth and or something like that. So yeah, I I wasn't too disappointed. I think pretty much every Stoke fan would have taken it beforehand. I don't think that's uh, any real disagreement in terms of uh, the result being a good one. Uh, just a shame the goals were in that order really if it, if it had been uh, one Matarone goal having been on the back foot for the almost the entire game that would have been uh, probably one of the most hilarious things I'd ever seen but um, <laughs> yeah if, I, I did fear sort of there were times in the first half where Man United got their tails up and obviously that one Matter missed, missed an unbelievable chance really and I worried we were going to do what we did against Liverpool and capitulate 4-1. But uh, Tom, I gather you've gone against the grain with uh, a lot of Stoke fans' opinions on this game. How did you see it? Um, So I was happy with the result because you can't ever uh, be disappointed with getting a point against a team like United in the form they're in at the minute. But I don't know, I just feel, for me, the difference between... The four goal spankings in this game was Man United didn't take their chances. Um, so I, I felt like as much as the lads worked hard and did their defensive jobs, I just, it just left a really bitter taste in my mouth because that 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 equaliser just looked for what what was it seventy minutes that it was coming for me, and I think we were just lucky for it to come in the ninety third minute. Because if it had came any earlier, I would have been certain that United would have gone on to win the match. Okay, that's interesting. I would say for me, the difference between the four ones and this. Okay, obviously there's a difference in the scoreline, whatever. But I think the difference for me, particularly with the Liverpool away game, was that our defence looked more, much more like they knew what the hell was going on. Um, and okay, yes, Man United did miss some big chances, uh, but when you see the goals we conceded against Liverpool, they they were pretty much three of our own making. Whereas Man United really had to work to break us down. M- midfield, uh, I had issues with, but I thought the back four and the keeper were all on song and uh, were much more resolute than we have seen them before, which was encouraging. Um, and also, I think Man United, they, they're just a better team and the... Yellow card to Arnautovic maybe stifled our attacking play to an extent because after that he he didn't really have the sort of impetus to go on and try and beat Ena Valencia. He he was kind of a bit more cautious in his play, I thought. But uh, Ben, 
Um, what, what did you make of sort of the midfield display? I thought it was, a, to be honest, I thought it was a travesty from Charlie Adam. I mean, I don't think he's played well for the last couple of weeks. And I think there's a very big case for him being dropped um, and bringing in an Imbula or an Afalaya or a Bojan. I mean, there's plenty of options off the bench um, for to be replaced, uh, to be a replacement for Adam. So I don't really understand why he's still playing because there was numerous times simple balls just being played out of the field for no reason. He tries the Hollywood ball every five minutes and fair play to him. He pulls it off every now and again and, and it looks amazing and I, I enjoy it when, it when he pulls it off, but it just doesn't happen enough for me. Um, I thought... And I know a lot of people thought it was a sort of an off day for Allen. But again, I think that kind of stems from kind of being out of position a bit. I think he is much more suited to that holding role where Adam is currently playing. So I'd much prefer to see him dropped back in that sort of two uh, midfielders in front of the defence against Everton in, in a couple a week and a half time. Um, and then I thought Whelan was good. I mean, Whelan has come, up, come in for some stick recently. I thought he was the best of the bunch in that three, in that midfield three. And I think he did exactly what you would have wanted him to do. Um, and he outplayed Pogba. So I'm happy about that. Yeah, we- Whelan was my man of the match for me. Uh, I agree with your points about Allen and Adam. I don't think they had particularly strong games at all. I think this may be Joe Allen's kind of worst game in some time. I think he just didn't really ho- hold on to possession well enough. And I think he gave away too many daft fouls the free kick being one example. Uh, but I thought Whelan was terrific. The amount of times he just got in front of Pogba and just kind of closed off the space for him was really terrific to watch at times. Um, and yeah, I've criticised Whelan a lot as well. And uh, I do have my doubts about him, but I thought yesterday was as near a faultless a performance as I could have expected from Whelan. What kind of concerned me was... When we did get chances to break in the second half, we kind of panicked. I think there there is a panicky to our uh, midfield and attacking play at times. I think exemplified by Afalai having chances to put Ngoy through on goal and just not taking them. Um, I thought Ngoy, when he came on, was terrific. I'm, I'm, I don't think he's put a foot wrong for us so far. He, look, he, look, he looks exciting and dangerous whenever he gets a touch of a ball, which granted isn't often, but... Uh, really encouraging. Um, Tom, in terms of Mark Hughes' substitution, I've mentioned Afalai there. Uh, also, Adam was brought off. Uh, Shakiri and Arnautovic were also brought off. What did you make of his subs? Um, I, I was Adam off was definitely the right sub and I think the, we'd really struggled to get out of our own half when he was on the pitch because like Ben said, he was just sort of trying to play the Hollywood ball and it ended up him whacking it to Crouch and Crouch not being able to control it properly. But then, I don't know, it's this it's this whole sitting back and inviting pressure and ending up with a midfield four of centre midfielders that just, I don't know, this season we've dropped 14 points from winning and drawing positions and that's come against Man United, Chelsea, Liverpool, Leicester, Arsenal, West Brom and Man City. So... If 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 it was a one-off and United had got that free kick today, it would have been oh that's really harsh on that's harsh on the lads. We've played what we've normally done and it hasn't worked. Is that is that a flaw with Mark Hughes's game plan in general? I think this, even the games we've won well have been a, a good example of this. We come out the blocks quite well, 
Sunderland away being an example, Burnley at home, and then we don't do anything in second halves of matches. Is that to do with Mark Hughes' attitude of either protect narrow leads against smaller sides or just try and cling on for what you can against the big sides? It just seems to be like a, a lack of tactical nuance. You, there's, there's, there isn't just two options of attacking and defending. It's, it's we defend with no ability to break on a counter attack and and put a team who are pressing to try and score to bed. Um, and yeah, last it, it's weird because last season we went from the Leicester game to the Swansea game, which was about six months without dropping a point once. We, we didn't drop a point from winning or drawing positions at all. But this season we've dropped tons and against good sides, which you understand, but it's happened against all of them. So surely something's wrong. To some extent, I agree. I think at times as well with the Pulis era, it would, it would happen quite a lot where we'd have a lead and then it would just sort of be biting your nails off until they're completely gone, um, until the final whistle or we concede. So I understand where you're coming from, but I think... Although it's nice if we go 2-0 up or whatever, um, 3-0 up, it would be nice if we could then go 5-0. Every time it happens, I'm like, this is the time we go and, and beat the team 5-0. But is that essential? If if I know if we lose the points, then fair enough, that's annoying. But that happens to every team. I mean, we're going to pick up points off a team when they're winning or drawing. We're going we're gonna to nick a point sometimes. Um, and it's, and it's going to happen to us. That's part of football. But... My point is maybe Mark Hughes is very big on not burning the squad out. I mean, it, it affects us at the start of the season where we, we don't sort of seem to be completely ready for the season because he doesn't want to overwork the squad before the season has even started. But maybe in Mark Hughes's mind, when we go 2-0 or 3-1 up or 3-0 or whatever, there's no point of us pushing on and getting those extra goals because that is just a complete waste of energy when we're already probably going to win the game. And, and we have done that this season as well. We have been able to defend a league comfortably, like you said, against Sunderland so what is the point of going to to get those extra goals when when you could save energy and save it for the next game and then and get a decent result against Manchester United what did you make of Man United in general because when they're sort of trying to break us down for a long period of the game you can you you can find yourself all into the uh, thing of thinking these not aren't really that good look look out look how they're struggling to break us down aren't they pathetic oh Pogba costs blah de blah uh, but uh, do do you think they're a sort of top four, maybe championship contenders, or do you think they're uh, do you think they're flattering to deceive? I think they're they're good. I don't know what Mark Hughes does if he goes to like a a, a spiritualist or someone and, and gets something before the match because I think it's nearly fifty shots they've had against us and only managed to score two goals. So we really are their yeah. uh, their bogey team for that, but. Yeah, you, you sort of watch them at times and I felt sorry for Juan Mata because he must have been thinking about when he was getting linked with us in the summer because he played great for us. But apart from that, I, I mean, you look at their team and even players like Ander Herrera. Ander Herrera sort of played that game against Charlie Adam where Charlie wasn't having a great game and Herrera just made him look a bit like a fool. He just sort of would always be two steps ahead of him. And yeah, I think that they're probably going to push for the top four, maybe even for the title. I think they're a fantastic team. I mean, as you said, the 49 shots they've had against us. I mean, on another day, potentially, they did go in. But I think the fact is the team works hard. And, and a lot of the chances they had, a lot of the shots on targets, either they're straight at Grant, which is Grant has made an easy save or like a decent reaction save, or the defender has done enough to put them off. I think Bruno yesterday, a couple of times, I'm sure Shawcross as well, 
put the put the man off just enough before they're about to shoot and and that is all you need if if they're going to miss the shot then then that's great defending in my opinion sorry you can tell that they're at some point they're going to click and and if they can start finding the top corner rather than just finding the keeper then they could be a really fantastic team and I think yeah I think I, I agree I think they could be pushing for the title certainly next season if this season is already too far gone yeah it it was very similar to the man united uh, away game where they did have a, you know a, a fair smattering of really good chances that they just didn't convert i did read comments like uh, shawcross had latan in his back pocket which i don't think are necessarily true to be honest i think shawcross definitely competed with him and battled with him in the air and that was good to see he didn't uh, roll over for him by any means but I think Zlatan got a lot of free time in the area that was just uh, just asking for trouble. He was offside a couple of times as well, which m- maybe that was down to our good defending uh, playing an offside trap. But I thought Zlatan has a lot of free time in the area. And uh, set, although Shawcross played well, I think um, saying he had him in his pocket was an exaggeration. One player who thought was outstanding for them was uh, Mkhitaryan, who just floated him out of the pitch. He was getting everywhere. He was really stretching us and uh he didn't he didn't really have uh, that much of a impact on the result but he he just really uh worried our defense uh whenever he was on yeah so i was just going to say and also rashford as well when he came on he he just uh it's just that little bit of pace that seems to frighten us doesn't it even even though i thought johnson stood up to him relatively well uh whenever players bring a pacey winger or striker on i'm a bit oh god you know, it doesn't matter if it's Marcus Rashfield or Demarai Gray. You know, we sort of panic. It shows what a fantastic impact substitutes can have because obviously Rashford did come on and he did look lively, and then Rooney scores a goal. So, <laughs> Tom chuckling away at the thought of substitutes having an impact. Our substitutes then we brought on uh, Afalai, uh, who sort of was designed to keep possession really in the middle, I suppose, uh, rather than sort of. An attack-minded change. We brought uh, Ingoy on for Shakiri again. Uh, as I said before, I'm I'm really excited. There are just, I think he's made really good runs through in what cameos he's had, and players I think are maybe reluctant to try and fa- uh, find him with a through ball, which is uh, very frustrating. Uh, and also, Imbula came on, which was uh, a bit weird to see. <laughs> I don't think he really had much time to have an impact, but um, yeah, the eternal Bojan question rears its head. Tom, I know you've got some strong thoughts on this. Uh, are you anticipating seeing Bojan again for Stoke? Well, I am now. We've signed Barahino, and sort of, I think it's becoming clear that, like, like we've said earlier, that Joe Allen isn't a number ten, and he won't be an Afalai. I feel like sort of your your safe number ten. He he really is a bit reluctant to play those risky through balls that might lose you possession and have you counter attacked. And I just think a, a Bojan Berahino partnership, it's the stuff dreams are made of. Really, it seems like it would go down well. So yeah, I just hope it doesn't leave. It's a bit of a difference going from Crouch and Walters to Bojan and Berahino. <laughs> It comes back to this thing, I think we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, of not having a real identity and just kind of trying what we can until something works. On that then, Ben, do you think, as we did sort of after the Sunderland game, this is the team to stick with? I know we don't have a game next weekend, but we've got Everton at home and then West Brom away, I believe. So 
Uh, are, are you confident in in this eleven? I think from well, from what I said earlier, you can tell that I'm I'm going to say I think maybe it's time for Adam to to take a step down. He has his his purple patches and and fair play to him. He's, he's proved such an important player for us over the, the past few seasons. I, I really do believe that, but I don't think he's been good enough. So I I, I drop him, drop Alan back into central defensive midfield, and then bring on. I'm I would the likely. Um, player to come in would be Afalai. I mean, I'd love to see Bojan, but that's very unlikely. I mean, it might not even be a player with us at that point. So, yeah, that's probably what I'd go for. I mean, back on your point quickly about Ngoy, and, and a really good point about the team that I sort of noticed when we did have attacks, and, and, and for the last few weeks, I'm feeling a bit more positive, or the last couple of weeks at least, just the, the sort of the connection between the players seems to be really good at times, especially between Arnautovic and Shakiri. You've got that that knowledge that where they're where they're going to be, where they're going to move to, and and they're always looking for each other. I think that's such a fantastic and and really nice thing to see. And and even and Peter Crouch is getting involved as well. So if we can get that sort of connection between players with your likes of Arnautovic, Shakiri, and and Berahino in the future, that just that sort of connection between the players. They know where they're going to run. They know what they want, where they want the where they want the ball. Then I think we could be really a, an exciting proposition going forward. But I mean, it is a big if. But you, we've seen it with the likes of Arnautovic, Shakiri, and, and that connection with Arnautovic. Peters created the goal because a lot of mm. left wingers wouldn't pick out the pass. Arnautovic picked out to Eric Peters to run onto and then to hammer it across the box and and Juan Mata to to make it count um, at the near post. So yeah, I just I just think that's really exciting. And and if we can see that with Berrino and maybe Ngoy. But I am worried about the impact Ngoy's going to have now that we've got Berahino in. I'd, I'd mm. much, I think we'll be looking at either Crouch starting for the next few weeks until he gets a hundred goals, and then Berahino starting and Crouch coming on probably. But anyway, I'm predicting. I'm I'm using my crystal ball far too much there. Do you think we'll stick with Crouch until he gets his hundredth goal? Are we that kind of sentimental as a as a club? Do you think Mark Hughes actually thinks like that? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was thinking that yeah. for the last sort of half an hour <laughs> yesterday. I was like. How long do we play Crouch until he gets his 100? Oh, yeah, it is an interesting one and, and we shouldn't let it be to the detriment of the team. But I mean, I certainly, even though I, I, I've said I'm I'm not the biggest Crouch fan, um, I, 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 I want him to get the 100 now. Everyone wants him to get the 100, yeah, but then yeah, how far does it go? Like, how, how, how much slack do you give him if he's not scoring goals for the next sort of 10 weeks? Do, if, he ends, if he ends the season on 99, <laughs> does he start the next game of the season? <laughs> That's the question. And I, I really wouldn't put it past the team. I wouldn't put it past Mark Hughes yeah. to do the, that. No. The one I was thinking yesterday was, what if we won a penalty? Would Crouch take it? Because, I mean, uh, no, yeah, he's, he's no, a dreadful no. penalty God, no. taker. Uh, I mean, he fluffed his one in the uh, semi-final, didn't he? I was just thinking, yeah, huh, yeah that's not going to be good. But, and would he, would, he, would he want to get the 100th goal With the on, on the penalty as well? Because obviously Rooney scored oh, that God, fantastic Crouch, goal. Crouch will he take tr- him any way they count. <laughs> you reckon could he try to score that absolute worldie with the volley yesterday against United <laughs> oh, yeah. that went about five yards wide? But I mean, fair play to him for trying it. We all, we all would have tried it. Would have been but... amazing. But yeah, uh, yeah, Crouch, yeah, Crouch, no, don't put him on penalties. He looks so weird taking them as well. It's like, it's like a giraffe playing with a ball in a pen in a zoo it's weird um yeah so yeah Cr- crouch is a, a funny situation i just hope this uh 99 goals just doesn't become a noose around his neck for a while because yeah. it, it, it's like uh it's like being on 99 in cricket you can sort of the longer you're on there before getting to your century you can sort of panic and doubt yourself a bit and as you say you 
as the cliche goes, you just want one to go in off your backside because they all count. Kind of thing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, when uh, when all this robot stuff started during the week, I was like, no, he's not scoring this weekend. We're going to be waiting a while. <laughs> it's at least a week now anyway. So yeah, come on, Crouchy, just get it over with me. <laughs> um, what did you make of Mark Clattenberg yesterday? He's a uh, divided opinion. Uh, famously our best ref in the league. Uh, from my point of view, I don't think he had a real b- stinker of a game at all. I think I, I probably gave him a lot of penalties during the match, but he didn't make any major decisions uh, that I thought were incorrect. And if anything, we were quite lucky that Arnautovic didn't get sent off for a second yellow card. So uh, I'm not you know, peeling that onion too much, really. I think, if anything, Clattenburg, if he had a bad game, it was in Stoke's favour. Most of the decisions that he didn't make were in our penalty box, around our penalty box. I mean, I don't know whether it was quite in the penalty box, but Shawcross definitely sort of stepped into, uh, I think it was Rashford's run, and that was definitely looked the foul, but it wasn't given. And I don't know, I think the five minutes at the end were really frustrating because you sort of felt when you saw it go up, you were like, oh, five minutes, where have they got that from? Oh, God, it's going to happen now, isn't it? And But, yeah, it was, I don't think it was yeah. that bad. I called five minutes before the board went up. I think we'd had all the substitutions being made and I think we did take the piss a bit in terms of using up time, but not not to fast extent I thought the yellow card for Lee Grant at the time was really harsh because it was only like the 65th minute or something daft and I don't think he was particularly slow in his uh, in his time wasting then because uh, you usually see it with goalkeepers that uh, your first instance right you'll the ref will have a word and say like look hurry up or I'll book you next time but with this it was just like Lee Grant had put the ball down and the next thing the yellow card was out and he thought bloody hell uh, but yeah I, I wasn't particularly uh, fuming with Mark Clattenburg for those five minutes and I think they scored in the fourth of those five anyway so it wasn't you know like they scored right at the death um, also good to see I think the, the atmosphere was back at the Britannia I don't know if it was just because it was Man United but uh, really, really pleasing just to have the crowd make some positive, encouraging noises for a change that hasn't been there for a while. Tom, do you have any sort of other concerns from this game that you wanted to uh, address? I think it was just, it's a, it shows a sign of how far backwards we've gone. I know it's a different United team and they've got two world-class players in it now and a, a really world-class manager at the helm, but we've gone within just over a year from playing the false nine was good counter-attacking football we weren't necessarily dominant in possession stats um but we've gone from that to cowering on the edge of our box for a majority of the match and i just think that that was where that's sort of it's just a a sign of what i think's going wrong at the minute but the point was good so i will just air my grievances as that okay ben is this a sign we've gone backwards I don't think so. I really don't. I think the fact that we got a point is enough for me. I mean, we're playing a league with Manchester United, literally the biggest brand in world football, and we, we've managed to go unbeaten against them. And I'm, I'm literally, I'm so overjoyed with that. I think that's not something to be sniffed at. As I said on Twitter last night, like 
I wouldn't complain about that really. But I, I understand Tom's grievances. I, I do, but I, I, I don't think I'd agree with him because at the end of the day, we're playing in a re- results-based game. I mean, it's a cliche, but we are. And, and the fact of the matter is we've played games where we've played open, languid football and then lost 4-0 or 4-1. So I'm, I'm not too fussed about playing a defensive performance without much going forward and, and getting a result. That's all you've got to do. And, and we did. And if it wasn't for... Wayne Rooney's magic right boot then we would have been I think well everyone would have been celebrating so yeah I, I, yeah, it's an interesting one I don't think you can underestimate the step up in Man United as well I, I know they're maybe not top of the league this season but you, you do say yeah they've added two world class players but you, you can't kind of dis, dismiss that because the players they have brought in have made the team look so much better than they did under Van Gaal. And they have been on in this amazing run. Uh, you know, just as I said, Mick Mictarian was just floating about and he's not even one of the main guys you think of when you think of a dangerous Man United team. You you were worried about Zlatan the whole game. You were worried about Pogba. But when you see Rashford and Rooney come off the bench and, you know, you just when you see players like uh, Valencia uh, overlapping on the right, you think, bloody hell, how the hell are we supposed to keep this out? Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very pleased with the point. Uh, shame about the circumstances of it, really. Um, we'll talk about Saido then. Uh, he made his move permanent on Friday. He was unveiled before the Man United game with his number nine shirt. At the end of the show, I'll be interviewing Stoke City club journalist John Sidaway about how that transfer happened from his point of view. But first, Tom, your reaction to Stoke finally getting their new man? Yeah, chuffed. Um, it was. It's, it's glad that it's finally over, and not just for Stoke, but I feel for 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 Berahino as well because he's been mistreated quite badly um, by West Brom. You can't sort of do that to a player. I don't think it's, it's not it's sort of at the end of the day they're people and they're, he's just trying to do his job and he's been shut out for no reason. One thing that I did really enjoy was. Uh, Hughes and Pulis in their press conferences earlier that day <laughs> um, and then I think it was um, Rob Dorsett, the, the Sky Sports presenter for the Midlands, who sort of said he'd hate to play them in a game of poker and he's been pretty right about <laughs> all the transfer news and it turned out in the end that it was, so yeah it was a, it was a nice thing to sort of look down and see yeah, it was it was pretty mad because yeah, that morning Pulis said, "Oh, Stoke, uh, yeah, they have nowhere near our valuation for Berahino." <laughs> and then like five hours later, it's like Berahino is driving down to Clayton Wood as we speak, and I was like, "Ah, oh, finally, finally, we're gonna see it happen." Um, so yeah, relief as much as anything. Uh, we we kind of discussed about uh, Crouch earlier in the show, Ben, but uh, do you see Sido coming straight in to the side? I don't think straight away. I think that would be a bit silly. I mean, my thoughts on it are this is a really exciting prospect for us. The, the potential of side of Erehino, everyone knows it. Like This player was sort of billed for big things and obviously it has gone wrong. What I don't want now is us to put him straight into the team and him struggle. Because he said himself in the interview when, after he signed, he was like, I'm, 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 not, I'm fit, I'm fit, but I'm not match fit. And it's a big difference, I think, especially at this level. So... I don't want him to go straight back in and then after like three games, the boos start ringing out or there's sort of discontent about how Berahino's a complete failure. That's really what I don't want. I think we need to give him a chance. Um, it's not going to happen straight away, probably. It might do. I mean, I don't know. But I think the the 
the sort of this is a signing for the future potentially. Maybe not even this season. We might not see the best of Berahino, but hopefully, if we give him sort of a decent few performances, maybe a few starts as well this year, and then next season he sort of becomes our mainstay up front. I think that's the way to do it, and he could be a really. Um, the more I think about it, just the more excited I get because this this lad was was talked about really highly and. I think the potential there is there for this twenty goal seat, twenty goal a season striker that everyone sort of. Well, there's the myth about that there's sort of loads of them um, around the world, but there really isn't. And and if Berahino is fit and is firing like he has done at times for West Brom in the past, then yeah, we we could have this could be a masterstroke. But then it could go the complete other way, and he never scores for Stoke. So who knows? <laughs> who knows? That's the beauty of football. A lot of doubts about this sort of attitude. Um, maybe some Stoke fans will will take against a maybe perceived lack of work ethic. I did notice this with Shakiri yesterday, actually, um, and not not wanting to dig out our fans because I thought on the whole yesterday we were right behind the team. We were very positive, and uh, that was as good as atmosphere as we've had for a long time. But there was a moment where uh, Shakiri is in our own half, and the ball's gone miles over his head. Uh, right down to uh, sort of near the Man United corner flag and their left back has it. Shakiri is marking someone, but yet is being bollocked for not chasing after that ball he's never <laughs> going to get to in a million years. It was like, oh, bloody hell, Shakiri, you lazy kid. Oh, what a waste <laughs> of money. He's like, if he'd gone out there and chased that ball down, he was nowhere near going to get, they'd have passed it round him and to the man he was marking anyway. Sometimes players have instructions to defend. You know, you can't just expect just running full pelt into them. It's not bloody TIG. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's just like, ah. Um, but yeah, other than that, fans were great. Fans were great, yeah. Um, no less, oh, back to Sido, no less an authority than Simon Jordan, the former Palace chairman, describing Sido as indulged and toxic. There's definitely a perception about Sido's attitude. Does that concern you, Tom? No, I think what Simon Jordan said is actually a little bit, I don't know, it's, it's, it's strange coming from him first off. And you're saying that about someone, about a refugee who at 10 years old travelled continents by himself. And uh, yeah, yeah I, I don't think a person like that is... I think Berahino's been painted out in the media and by West Brom as some sort of greedy, selfish person. But if we look back at what he said, he never said he wanted to go anywhere for more money. He sort of want, he sort of was saying, I think I'm I'm doing well at West Brom at the minute and I'm happy here, but I see myself progressing beyond West Brom. And I, I think the things that's positive for me from this is, A, it's been reported that we have a mass, the West Brom have a massive sell-on fee clause. And if Stoke have been willing to include that, you've got to assume that they see Berahino staying with us for the majority of his career because if he does good and then moves on for a big fee, West Brom get a, a healthy chunk of that. And it's a five-and-a-half-year contract, which is supposed to mean that uh, they're, they're going to stay for a long time, but Bojan. Um, so there is mm. worry there. But I don't know. I, I think he's just a, a lad who's been painted out as a villain when he isn't really one. He's just a just likes playing football. Yeah, g- given his sort of his childhood and uh, all that stuff, you can forgive him have, having a falling out with Tony Pulis. I mean, you know, on the balance of, on the balance of things, I don't think that makes him a bad person. Um, yeah, so 
all hopeful for what Sido can bring. Ben, do you foresee any future activity in the transfer market for Stoke? Just quickly, one more thing on Sido Berrino. I'm going to release my inner Kevin Keegan and say I would love it if we could beat West Brom with a goal from Sido. <laughs> Just, I would love it. Um, yeah, that, that's what everyone's <laughs> been talking about, the potential Azibayorishness of it all. <laughs> oh, we can dream, we can dream. Um, potential signings, I said it last week on the podcast, from what Mark Hughes has made out in his press conferences and his, and his little chats with the Stoke City media team, I think if there's a deal to be made, we'll make it, or in a position that we need anyway. Um, but I don't think... There's any sort of position that I'd really want us to sign now. We've got, obviously, Ramadan coming back from AFCON at some point. So he's our winger cover that we maybe haven't got at the moment when he's away. And we've got Ngoy, who can also, obviously at the moment, for some reason, filling in on the wing. But if that's the role he's going to play, then I don't mind that. Um, Don't want to sign any more centre midfielders. So potentially looking at some defenders. But I don't think... From our starting lineup, um, I don't think we need anyone. And you think about the players that we've got coming back. I mean, everyone's there's a, there's been a few sort of jitterings about Jeff Cameron and sort of that impact that he had for us this season. And then he got injured. It's just such a shame that he's injured. But if he can come back, then we've got that cover in midfield and even that cover at right back and things like that. And we've got, I think our team is fine really. Mm. Um, maybe left back is a position that you'd consider strengthening but then also you've got Muniesa who is fit at the moment but when he's fit he's not playing so yeah I think we've got cover for everywhere and but if there is a deal to be had we should we should sort of make use of that yeah AFCON uh, rumbles on uh, Mamadou Senegal have qualified for the quarterfinals uh, already so he he'll be out uh, longer Um, Ramadan's Egypt have uh, got four points from their first two games so you'd expect them to qualify for the quarterfinals as well uh, so yeah it looks like our African players may be out uh, for longer than we hoped also Munier's have been linked away as well he's uh, he's another one uh, to add to the potential heartbreaks list isn't he um, I, I, I can't see any logic in selling Munier's uh, with, with Bojan as much as I think that would be a bad decision and a heartbreaking one Munieza makes even less sense to me because what cover have we got at, at centre half now? Well, yeah, I, I'd agree with that. It seems Bojan is the one that would break your heart if he leaves, and Mooney would probably do the same as well. But if Mooney leaves, we've got one left back, two centre halves, and a centre mid who can sort of play at centre back. But we all know he's better as as a centre half, Jeff Cameron, uh, as a centre midfielder. Even it, it just mm. seems if we could if the the club did their deadline day Twitter announcement of no, there's no more deals going through. That's it. Go home, reporters. There's no bother. Don't bother turning up to Stoke. I think I'd be really, really happy. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, money, Bojan. If you're listening, don't leave, please. Um, that that that's it from us this week. There's no Stoke game next week, but we're doing something a bit different. Uh, it's hashtag History Week all week on the podcast and on our social media channels. Next weekend, we'll be releasing a documentary episode about Frank Sue with the help of Susan Gardner, who has written The Wanderer, a great biography of the former Stoke captain and England star. Also, there's an outside chance of a show midweek about the myths and legends of Stoke City history, but we're still working on that, so hopefully it could be out midweek. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Tom. Cheers. After the break, I'll be talking to John Sidaway, the Stoke City FC club journalist. Just don't you understand? 
I'm now joined by Stoke City FC club journalist John Sidaway. John, uh, what is it the official club journalist does day to day? Thanks for having me first day. Um, to be honest, it's, it's an array of things. We, we're quite a small department, so um, my job is to basically look after written content that goes on the website alongside social media duties. Um, so everything that goes on Facebook and Twitter is usually down to me. But we also pitch in with interviews, players, management, um, doing work for the programme, videos. It's it's not just one specific role. It's it's an array of them, and um, there's there's five of us that that do do all the duties. Uh, I imagine uh, being a club journalist like pr- pretty different to being uh, working mm. f- uh, outside the club, if you like. Is, is there a sense with, when you interview uh, players and management that you have to sort of maybe hold your tongue a bit, maybe uh, I don't know. Uh, portray the club is your is your job to portray the club in a in a better light um yes or no i mean you can't be critical obviously because you, you're in-house and your job's to be positive but of course if if you've just lost four four one to liverpool or four you know those three four nil games that happened last season then you've got to be realistic and say that you know we 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 weren't positive, you know. Um, so you come out with stories like, um, I don't know, Mark Hughes. Was, um, I can't think of a story that we did, to be fair. But uh, you try and be as positive as you can because at the end of the day, you, you work for the club and you've got to keep players and management on side. And it is different to working for like a newspaper because their sole duty is to get transfers out and to get that gossip and, and all that. But our, our job is to, to basically put the club in a good light and um, yeah be as positive as we can really but of course when you lose games that are 4-0 you've got to be more honest and say that you know we, we didn't deserve to win or you know you've got to be a bit more um, realistic basically yeah uh, on the social media side of things then we've uh, we've noticed that the, the club tried to be more expansive in social media sort of as we've uh, gone on through the years, really, uh, is there anything that you'd you'd love to do more of? Because uh, I think in terms of recent things, I've enjoyed like the Shawcross Twitter takeover, the uh, videos with Munier and Bojan. Do you want to do more of that stuff? Yeah, of course you do. I mean, the way that media is going now, it's all going down that digital platform. Um, I think there'll be a time where programs and newspapers, well, newspapers are already dying out all their content's going online. Um, but I think there'll be a time eventually where one club will say no to, to football club programmes um, and everything will just go the digital way. I don't know if that'll be in the next five, ten years or whatever. It could be even sooner than that. But I think that'll happen eventually. And because everything's going down this digital platform where everything's online on social media, um, then, yeah, you want to get more. And, and the best way to do that is through video platforms. When I mean, look at... Facebook Live that we've only just started looking into when really it's been going for it's been going for 12 months or so now mm. and um, that under 18 FA Youth Cup game got a reach of over a million people and was viewed by oof, over half a million um, and that was just for an under 18 game so imagine what that could do for you know m- more interactive but exclusive content like those Bojan and Muniesa games and 
a Shawcross Twitter takeover. I mean, the the idea that we came up with yesterday was to get very you know pitch side to try and get um, more people in the stadium ball and play it on Facebook Live. And as we were doing it, we were thinking, why why don't we do a a Q and A with him over Facebook Live? Because you get all the comments that come in, and I know other clubs do it. Um, our problem is you're just finding the time to do it because there's so much other bits and bobs that need to get done. But yeah, going down the digital platform way and improving it that way is something that we need to do as a club and as a department. Um, but not just as a media department, there's other aspects. So, so bringing in stuff like the community and bringing stuff in like the commercial department and just improving it. Mm. Um, we, have new, we have a new website coming in the summer, so that's going to be one of the main agendas to make it more social, more interactive. Yeah. You, you mentioned there that you've got a, quite a, a small media team are there other clubs in the Premier League that you look at and think, oh, I'd love to have their resources or a similar size team to them? Is, is oh, there are there well, any clubs you think, oh, what well, their their content is is yeah. the sort of gold standard? Uh, well, look at Man United yesterday when Rooney scored, and <clears throat> you look at their. I only looked at Twitter, but just just look at what they did after he scored his 250th goal, and they just went, they blitzed it. It was amazing. Um, but that comes with planning, and that comes with a big team of people who have worked hard for like two, three weeks putting that together and having a content plan of, of sorting all that out. I mean, we have a plan because we're so small. Our time's divided between different things. So doing the programme, and which is obviously one of the main agendas because that's that's got to be put in before a deadline. Um, and then once you've done that you've kind of forgotten about social media a little bit for a couple of hours and you think, oh, okay, I've got to put something out there now. Um, and then you think, oh, I've done that, but now the website's missing something, so you've got to write up something else and do a little video here and there. And um, Everybody's just not all over the place. We're, we're a well-run department in terms of what we've got. And I think what we put out is better than other clubs who have 10, 15 people. I mean, <clears throat> I look at Sunderland, for example, and they've got 15 people in their media department. But I go on their website and things and their social media, I think it's not too different to what we do now and it's not any better. So what we're doing with the resources that we've got is, in my opinion, outstanding really. Um yeah. but but yeah, it's 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 um yeah, it's something that we need to improve on as well. There's always improvements to do, but mm. of course you you get jealous of other teams, but when you look at teams like Man United and they've probably got, and this is just taken away like MUTV, they must have, I don't know what the numbers are, but they must have a team of like 20, 30 plus doing their digital yeah. strategy show, like social media and probably the website. And you look at that and you think, that's great, but what are they all actually doing? Because they can't all have that relationship with players or the management. And that's the benefit of having probably a small team like us because we all have that relationship with players and they know our names and they know who we are. But yeah. any top Dick or Harry from Man United who hasn't been there that long, or they could have been there for like two, three years, but don't have that relationship with players, probably wouldn't get that exclusive content or that um, that engaging interview that, that we'd probably get with a player or a manager. Yeah. Um, you mentioned there about sort of uh, planning ahead. I, think, um, the, I imagine there's some things you can't plan for. One thing that was pretty... Uh, pretty crazy this summer was the sort of influx of uh, Egyptian followers and fans on social media after we signed Ramadan. Uh, there, there was a bit of um, confusion with that, with sort of 
were, were they all blocked at one point? Uh, how, how do you sort of deal with that kind of uh, instant uh, mass following? Yeah, I know. Well, when it first came about, and before he even signed, there was a big influx of people coming from from that part of the world, um, and it's something that we just let carry on because it it engaged people, I suppose, and people got interactive about it. It obviously drummed up an interest out there. I'm sure Stoke never had an interest from that part of the world before. Yeah. It's something to, to keep going. But then it just went absolutely crazy overnight. One, I can't remember when it was. And um, they all just got, I say they all, but the, the majority of comments were just about Ramadan. So we had to take a step back and say, look, we're going to have to just block the country for a little while until he signs. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I know is bad because you want that engagement with people. Um, and then he signed, obviously. Um, and then we obviously opened it back up and the influx was ridiculous. I think we went from like 800,000 to a million likes on Facebook. I think it's 1.3 now. But over like a million likes on Facebook in just under a week, it was ridiculous. And that was all just because of Egyptians and everyone who loved Ramadan. We'd never heard of him before. <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. The, uh, the in him. Um, and then, of course, it went crazy, as you, as you know, with putting just bog-standard stories on, even stories about the community and um, former players or people passing away. And the comments that were coming on about Ramadan were just ridiculous. So we had to take a stance and say, well, at first we, we blocked keywords because we thought, you know, we don't want to just bomb them off. Mm. Uh, so we had to block keywords, which I'm not going to repeat. <laughs> um, and that helped. And then obviously he scored that goal against Swansea, and that just went crazy again. <laughs> then he played. Was it was it West Ham he played and he started? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's brilliant because they, they love it when he's playing and he's scoring, obviously. And then of course he wasn't in the team again. Um, and then the comments turned abusive again. And it just goes absolutely stupid. So we've we've we opened at that point. Well, we opened it a few weeks before, but at that point we started. Um, pointing out that we had an Arabic Twitter account and Facebook accounts, which I think we're now running up until the end of the season, and then we're looking into, obviously, prolonging it um, and then driving their interest over there. But, of course, it's not going to stop. So we had to basically block Egypt again, which is why the you're not seeing hardly any Ramadan comments. But, of course, if he scores and we do an interview with him or um, we do something with him, then... Of course, we'll have to look back and start opening it all up again because that's where the interest comes from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, of course, uh, Friday we signed Saido Berahino. Yeah. When a transfer like that happens, do you get a call? and Do you get uh, Tony Scholes or someone saying, we need you over here to cover this transfer? Do you have to sort of drop what you're doing and head down to the Clay- Clayton Ward? Or do you kind of, do you get, notified in advance that we think something's going to happen? Um, well, there's always communication. We don't really get notified, um, just in case anything does slip out, obviously. But Friday was an example where, obviously, the morning, we nobody thought anything was happening. And then we just got inundated with phone calls from journalists who thought something was happening. And then, we, yeah, just got to the point in on Friday afternoon that we were told that um, it's likely something's going to happen, so get things ready and and get down down to Clayton Wood, basically. 
and that's where we met him, interviewed him, and had everything ready to go. It's one of those signings where it, it, everyone knew about it, so it wasn't obviously exclusive or breaking because it's been going on for 12 months. But yeah, it, it, it happens quite often where there's always engagement and communication between ourselves and the hierarchy, and, and we get told to or asked to stay. Stay yeah. we get things ready. And how does it work on deadline days then? Because um, obviously they go on well into the night. Are you there the whole time? Uh, I'm thinking in terms of maybe uh, last January window where we signed in Bueller very late in the day. Do you have to kind of wait around for everything to be finalised? Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the things that I won't say knocks me. Um, obviously, <laughs> fans, fans fans want the news and they want it now, basically. But there's, there's, and I understand that because you know you're a football fan. You want, you want the best for your football club, and I'm the same really for for my team. But in terms of protocol, you have to wait for all the paperwork to go through, and even when when a player signed a contract, there's still paperwork that needs to go through. It's not necessarily been put through yet, so you got to wait for little bits and bobs uh, to be done. But no, on, on like a, a deadline day, for example, we're we're in a little bit later. Uh, in the day, um, unless we're told otherwise that something might happen at nine o'clock in the morning, which is very rarely on transfer deadline day. Um, but we're pretty much there all the way through. We'll, we'll have communication again, just just like always, to get things ready and prep things. So prepping an in-player profile for the website or your, your standard Stoke City have signed uh, X Y Z, um, and then basically just prepping interview and prepping video content and social media content, but you could be there until late, as we were last January, or you'd be told to get gone at five o'clock because nothing's going to happen. It's 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 swinging and roundabouts, really. It could go either way. Yeah, uh, you alluded to it there, but uh, Stoke isn't your club. It, I think uh, many could guess from your accent, perhaps, but uh, you're a baggy. Um, do, do you have to kind of... Uh, is it hard, say, if Stoke score against against your team is it hard to uh, get the enthusiasm to come across on social media do you have to kind of brace yourself a bit and just think right I've, I've got to do this job I've, I've got to I've got to pretend I love it it's um look I mean I want Stoke to do well I work for them and I probably wouldn't have said this like five ten years ago but of course now I've got a soft spot for them um so I want them to do well you know you're friends with the players with the management with the staff with People internally who haven't got anything to do with the playing side, so you want the club to do well for their for their sake, um, and of course you want the club to do well because you, you want them to finish as high as possible. So it doesn't matter if they score against Man United or Stevenage or West Brom, you got to keep that professionalism and 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 think that you know you're you're Stoke fan. What would you do? I mean, I'd, it's no secret I'm a West Brom fan, but. You got to be professional. I mean, there's there's been times where perhaps I've been a little bit naive over the years. I'm 27 now, so I've I've probably grown up a little bit in terms of uh, what I put out and how I handle things. I mean, there's still times where you want to be a bit more brave with what you put on Twitter or on any social media platforms. But in terms of if the Stoke scores against the West Brom, then you're professional and you point out that we've scored and. We're glad, and, and you just gotta keep that professionalism. I mean, it's the same when Albion score against Stoke. It's, it's. I've got a smile on my face. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I do well as well, but at the same time, they're playing Stoke, and yeah, 
Stoke's my employer at the end of the day. And if I want to go and watch Albion, I'll watch them when I can. So, and I'll cheer them on then. But when it's against Stoke, then you, you've got to be you've got to be more professional. Yeah, a big game coming up on uh, 4th of February, of course. One thing that ha- sort of happened quite recently was uh, our friend Zach, who's been on the podcast before. Yeah. Uh, he had his uh, load of stuff nicked in Manchester and there was sort of a big social media campaign to maybe the club could do something for him, which I, I know you were a big part in that. Is-, is there times where you have to sort of decline stuff like that, maybe? Do you, do you have to sort of... No, you, you have to at times because... If you do one thing for one person, then someone else is going to be like, oh, well, this happened to me, and can I come in? But they could they could have a season ticket, and they could come to every game, and they could live in Trenton or Hanley or whatever. And I think the difference with Zach was that you, you do your research. I got told about him. Uh, lovely lad, my ad. And I found out that he'd only been to one game before, and this was his first trip in, I think he said two or three years. It was only the second time that he'd come to the yeah. Five and or the Brit, as you guys call it. And, and I guess, I guess, in a selfish way, from a PR way, it was a story that we couldn't really say no to. And we had to get him in to meet his favourite player and surprise him a little bit. But, but of course, if, if other people have had similar things, then they're going to be, it's going to be in the back of their minds to send an email. So you always get emails and, and letters asking for things. And we'll, we'll do as much as we can for people. We'll always try and send out programmes if people haven't bought a programme or... If they want signed things, then we'll try and get it done as, as best as we can. But like alluding to my last answer, you've got to be more professional and say, look, I'm, I'm, I'm here to do a job and I'm not here to be a charity. As, as much as I'd like to help people, and I'll always try and help people as much as I can, there's some things you just have to say no to, unfortunately. Obviously, being a club journalist, I imagine, gives you maybe perhaps a better relationship with some of the players than being sort of outside the camp, if you like. Are there any players who were particularly chatty? I don't want you to tell tales out of school, but are there any certain players you think these are always a good laugh when you interview them? Everyone's a good laugh, to be fair. Of course, you get you get good days and bad days. If there's a bad run of results, then it's difficult to get people to speak because their job is to play football, ultimately. And it's sounding a bit like Tony Pulis, all the... <laughs> all the Stuff that comes with it is uh, is a bit of a circus, really. But they're fully aware that we're there to bring them a positive light. And even though people have been a bit pessimistic this season, I don't know why. May I add? <laughs> okay. Players have, have, are still buzzing. They're still walking around with smiles on their faces. Of course, they're they're annoyed at things like the Wolves FA Cup game and uh, previous games to that, where um, Bournemouth, for example, and Leicester. But they still come in on a Monday. That game's gone now. They they have to move on. And, it's the same with us, really. They're, they're still positive with us. They're still happy. I mean, you get players like Shaq, who's always walking around with a smile on his face. You've got players like Mam, who's always beaming. Crouchy is just as professional as ever. And there isn't there isn't anyone who, who's grumpy or won't do anything. I mean, they'll politely decline if they want to, but that's that's standard with anything. But no, nobody's nobody's grumpy. Everyone's as, as happy as Larry with us. So it's it's quite positive from that respect. Uh, it's just something we uh, touched on earlier. Uh, do you have any sort of plans for what you want to do content-wise before the end of the season? Have you got any sort of big ambitions that you want to uh, try and get done? Um, well, we always have ambitions. I think I think the main one for us is looking at these live videos and trying to do more previews. Um, 
you look at fan channels, for example, and I'm in agreement and I'm in a disagreement with them, as you are when you work internally. But I guess they're more interactive with fans because they're fans, whereas we have to be a bit more corporate. I guess that's the right word. A bit yeah. more, a bit more, a bit more pushed back a little bit. Yeah, detached. Yeah. But of course, you want to do any do as much exclusive content that you can to, to engage with people. And the benefit that we have is is that we work internally. We can get players to do silly things. I say silly things, but but do things out of context. So you Bojan running yes, guess who's or anything like that, or Twitter Q and A's. I want to do more of that. Um, definitely get more players doing more engagement um, on our channels. But the thing with social media these days is a player can do that on their own yeah. now. So you've got to think a bit, a bit more out of the box and think what can we do with with this player if he's got this many like a Bojan, for example, what can we do with him when, when he could easily go on his own Twitter channel mm. or his own social media channels and and say, I'm going to be on Facebook Live or Instagram Live or do some questions, just just come and join me. So we need to think a bit more outside the box of, of things in terms of that. But definitely getting more um, exclusive content out there where fans and people are seeing players from a different perspective. I think the thing that we need to do is try and humanise footballers and humanise your football club or your media output, basically, because that's what people want to see. People want to see a Shakiri accidentally cleaning his boots when he's doing an interview or it's quirky things like that that get, get people watching. So definitely more like that. But also I want to try and get more preview shows out there. So maybe on a Friday evening or streaming the the hour before kick off on a match day um, just to get people who aren't at the game a bit more involved and getting a bit more perspective on, on what it's like to be there because they're not there. I think that's the big key on a match day. But in the week is is getting more exclusive entertaining content. I mean Man City do well. But they've got a team of they've got a team just dedicated to YouTube, for example. Yeah. Um and I think Southampton do things well. I think they've got nine or ten people just on their digital side. Um and and there's there's clubs like that that do things like it. So there's no reason why we shouldn't be doing it. And that's something that we need to improve on. Yeah, good stuff. Um before I let you go then, could we have a prediction for the big game on the 4th of Feb, West Bromstoke? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, no, I'll, uh, no, I'll give you a... I think it'll be a massive game. It'll be interesting to see whether Berahino plays. I mean, we were discussing it the other day, um, well, yesterday, actually, and we were saying that it's, it's a game that he'll want to prove himself in. So if he can prove that he's ready to go for Everton, obviously it's the manager's decision, He'll be buzzing to get back to get back to the Hawthorns and put something right. I mean, look at Albion's season; they're having a terrific season. And then you look at Stoke, and people have said, "Oh, they're not having as good a season." But they're only what four points off West Brom. It's like both teams are having a good season, so it'll be an interesting game. I think um, to, to sound like the manager, it's, it's who takes the game to who first. And I'm going to sit on the fence and say it'll probably be a draw. <laughs> okay, thought thought you might. Uh, John, thank you very much. Cheers and good luck for the rest of the season.